You have to bear with me as uh, I attempt to uh, address uh, some issues that happened uh, this week uh, in our country. This is a nine-month-old church. I'm now a senior pastor. And this is the first time that uh, there's been an event or series of events in this case uh, that I felt a burden, I felt moved with compassion to address. Uh, we uh, were sent by God to Irving to plant a church, uh, not uh, a news station. And so you may be wondering why this weekend would you address some things when there's things happening all the time where, for that reason, we would never preach the gospel? <laughs> we live in a fallen world. And there's things happening all across this country on a daily basis that we could come in here every week to vent our frustrations about. This one got close to home. 11 minutes away from home. And as I begin to pray and think about today and what I would say, uh, the Lord only gave me three words this morning. And those three words were, we all matter. We all matter. If we were to take what is happening with African Americans in this country, and place a hashtag by that, Hispanics in this country, place a hashtag by that, Muslim Americans in this country, and place a hashtag by that, and all the other things that we could talk about, place a hashtag by that we'd run out of hashtags. Black Lives Matter, Cops Lives Matter, Hispanics Lives Matter, Puppies Lives Matter, <laughs> Birds Lives Matter, Whales, where do you stop? <laughs> so I felt like today I, need, I just needed to talk from my heart because as a resident of this community, and as those of you who are here that have joined this community, you know that the mandate of our church is to show God's goodness to unbelievers and make believers ambassadors of Jesus Christ. I cannot speak to you as an African-American man who is angered by the injustices that are happening in our society. I don't have scriptural permission to do that. I can speak to you as a believer about what is going on in a fallen world and talk about the perspective that heaven has on what's going on and to ensure that the people that call Embassy City Church home whether you are African-American, Caucasian, Asian, Native American, Hispanic, 
a third German, a sprinkle of Irish, whatever you are, okay? Whatever amalgamation you happen to be, it is important to me as the senior pastor of this church that you walk out of here with us having the same mind. That some people don't walk out of here angry and other people walk out of here depressed and other people walk out of here confused. I would like us to all be on the same page. Let me share personally for a moment. I uh, asked my parents permission. They wanted to be here, but the storm, we live in North Fort Worth, and uh, for some reason, some rolling blackouts came, and thunder and lightning came, and it just hit really hard. They couldn't be here. I asked their permission to share a story that happened to them in 1977. Uh, my oldest brother was 12. I was two. My youngest brother was seven months. My parents uh, lived 20 miles outside of L.A. My mother worked for the L.A. Police Department. And uh, they were coming home from just grabbing some snacks uh, and uh, got pulled over by the Azusa Police Department. Uh, when they got pulled over by the Azusa Police Department, they were pulled out of their vehicles, uh, told to lay on the ground, and had shotguns pointed at their heads. They fit the description of um, a couple that had just robbed a bank. Uh, they pulled my parents over. They had some groceries in the car. So apparently, they robbed the bank to get some groceries. <laughs> Shotguns are uh, to my dad's face and my mom's face. They're told not to move. They're told not to talk. My dad wasn't quite delivered from his anger uh, at that time. Uh, and so to see a shotgun pointed at his wife's head enraged him. He was told if he said anything else, he was going to get his head blown off. As my parents were both on the phone uh, talking to me as I was driving down here, tears came to my eyes at God's grace <laughs> that I still have them that I wasn't orphaned at two years old, my brother seven months old, my oldest brother 12 years old, uh, because of the actions of over-anxious uh, uh, police officers who um, thought they were in this small town about to catch some robbers. Uh, they were laying on the ground, but my dad said he could see uh, a man in a car that had slowed down to, to see what was going on. And the guy did a U-turn and pulled up right behind the cop cars at a safe enough distance, but pulled up behind the cop cars, got out of the vehicle and just stood there. It was a Caucasian man and he just stood there. And my parents described it just over an hour ago that that was their angel. This man literally stood there resolute as if to say, you're not going to do it in front of me. And the police tried to give their menacing little, get out of here. This is an investigation. This is an ongoing active scene. And the guy was just like, yep. <laughs> and I'll be right here. Some cops are bad. Because some people are bad. For anybody that's shocked that there's racism in America, you who, there's sin in America. Yeah. 
I can't believe people have hate where there's still sin in the earth. And as long as there's sin in the earth, there's going to be hate, racism, sexism, classisms, all the isms. How do we respond as believers? Not, not as black people or white people, not as Hispanics or Asians. How do we respond as believers? Now, if I was in a community forum, I would be talking in a much different way, but I'm talking to ambassadors in an embassy. And so the conversation has to be up here. It cannot be down here. I'll say some statements that might shock you, starting with the fact that there is no such thing, nor will there ever be, racial reconciliation. It's impossible. To reconcile means to restore to a previous relationship. Anybody trying to restore that relationship we had about 400 years ago? No? No, nobody? Nobody? Nobody willing to go back there? Okay. And where's the reconciliation? It's not between man and man. It's between God and man. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 gives us plain instruction that Christ was reconciling the world to himself and that we are now Christ's ambassadors. We speak on behalf of God when we say, on behalf of Christ, when we say, come back to God. Here's why the gospel is so important. The more people we get to come back to God, the more people we will get to be united with each other. It's the only way it happens. This past week, in a 72-hour period, seven men's lives were taken. Two of the men at the hands of police officers. Five of the men, officers at the hands of an angry man. Seven lives taken in 72 hours under circumstances that are very troubling to comprehend. Alton Sterling was 37 years old. He was selling CDs in front of a liquor store. Has anybody seen the footage beside me? Both angles? It's very difficult for me to believe that two officers who have a man pinned on the floor cannot subdue said man without shooting him. Alton Sterling had a gun on him so far deep in his pocket that I thought the man, the police officer that reached in was going to wind up in Wonderland with Alice <laughs> by the time he pulled it back out. There's, there was a way that this threat could have been resolved without this man losing his life. The next day, Philando Castile, who was 32 years old, was a cafeteria worker, 
He's driving home, gets pulled over. His girlfriend's driving. He's in the passenger seat. There's a four-year-old girl in the back. Anybody see that footage? He was shot four times after telling the police officer that he had a concealed handgun license and had a weapon in the car. He was shot four times in the car, and under that type of duress, that bullet, that bullet could have hit that girl. At that range, it could have passed through that guy and hit somebody else, ricocheted off of the bone, anything could have happened. His girlfriend, who was in shock but composed, filmed it. And then we have Brent Thompson, 43 years old, Dart Police Department. Patrick Zimaripa, 32 years old, Dallas PD. Michael Kroll, 40, Dallas PD. Michael Smith, 55, Dallas PD. Lauren Ahrens, Dallas PD. Securing the rights of people to protest what had gone on 48 hours earlier, protecting and serving in the stellar way that the majority of law enforcement officials across this nation do day in and day out. And a coward with a sniper's rifle killed five of them and injured several more. Angry about what happened 48 hours earlier. Justifiably angry. Anybody else angry about what happened this week? The anger is fine. The actions were not. But when people don't have the right words, they always display the wrong actions. When people don't have an outlet to talk, have dialogue, express themselves in a healthy manner, it gets toxic real quick. We don't have to look for video footage this week <laughs> to see that this has been going on a whole bunch. The very first time this happened that we know about is in Genesis chapter 4, when a guy who didn't get his offering received, didn't kill a stranger in the next town who was tithing. He killed his own brother. There's nothing new under the sun. From that day to this day, men have been killing their brothers. Doesn't matter what shade you put it on, what pigmentation you place it in. Men have been killing their brothers since Genesis chapter number four. So the question is, what are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to respond to it? As believers, what, what are we supposed to do? I, I love the fact that we're praying. I, I love prayer. Ooh, I love it. It's fantastic. But if prayer is not followed up with conversation and conversation is not followed up with action and action is not followed up with implementation, 
There's going to be three more next week. This is not a quick fix. And I understand the reaction we get as soon as we see something like this happen. It's horrible. It's a painful experience. And the first thing we want to do is, oh, my God, we need to do something. Let's all get together. Find somebody that doesn't look like you. Hug them. Let's sing Kumbaya now. And let's pray loud and let everybody see us. Then they go back home to their very sterile environment. They called, they, they had to phone an ethnicity. They had to phone in one. Hey, you're black, can, I, let's, can we take a picture today? <laughs> you don't have an African-American friend. You don't have a Caucasian friend. You're not in deep community and relationship with people that don't look like you. And so we're gonna cook up something for the Photoshop and go back to our sterile environments and hope it never comes, to, comes by us. I don't want to live like that. There's a reason why God put us in Irving, Texas, in the most racially diverse zip code, United States of America. Because he wants us to talk to everybody about the same thing, not one ethnicity about some things. And I know this is uncomfortable, I know you're probably thinking in your head, how do you get to what is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? <laughs> how will you get there, brother? I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. Bear with me. Here's the response of ambassadors. We live in a fallen world. Whose side are you on? Are you on the hashtag of Black Lives Matter? Are you on the hashtag of Cops Lives Matter? Who, whose side are you on? And I'm reminded of Joshua chapter number five. When Joshua, the commander of Israel, is encountered by the pre-incarnate Christ. And he asked the same exact question. Whose side are you on? He says, are you friend? Or are you foe? And I love Jesus' answer in the Old Testament. Neither. I'm not on anybody's side. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Whose side are you on is the real question. If you want to know whose side I'm on, I'm on the Lord's side. And here's what I know about the Lord's side. The Lord's side is for justice. The Lord's side is for righteousness. The Lord's side is for equality. We have an opportunity to respond in a way that is going to baffle people's minds over the next several weeks. We as ambassadors have an opportunity in the places that we work, in the communities that we serve, and the friends that we have to give them a paradigm that could stop the next murder, that could stop the next issue from flaring up. And all they need from us is the heaven's perspective on what's going on in a fallen world. And here's heaven's perspective. The world is evil. And that's why God sent his son to die for the whole world that whoever would believe in him 
would not perish but have everlasting life. There's a conversation that we need to have. I want to open up the dialogue for us to have it. If this thing is so close to, to home for you, if you may have known one of the officers, you may have known uh, 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 one of the men that died, it's a small world. It's only six degrees of separation. Some of you all could probably look up a Facebook page and do a scroll and find someone that knew the person if they weren't your friend already. This is how close this is to all of us. What I'm grateful for is that we all get to come in this building, and I'm so grateful that I didn't walk into a room today just to address African-Americans. I am grateful to serve in a community of believers where what we all feel and know is we want to serve Jesus. Anybody that's come through our new residence class knows I told you this. And some people liked it and some people left because they didn't like it. We're not having Black History Month in February. We're not having Cinco de Mayo on May 5th. St. Patrick's Day's out. The only thing I want to remind people of is Jesus. We are many ethnicities here, but we only have one culture, and that's Jesus' culture. That's kingdom culture. And so while we all carry our hue, and you should be proud of it, while we all carry a, a, a cultural distinctive, when we come here, we lay all of that down to lift up one name and one name only, and that's Jesus Christ, our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Well, Tim, that's great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but I'm still mad. And you have a right to be. Scripture gives us permission to be angry. But to sin not. I want us to be able to have a heart check. I want us to be able to look internally into our own lives and to honestly answer the question, do I have any hate in my heart? Do I have any prejudices in my heart? Do I have any blinders on that doesn't allow me to have the right perspective on what's going on? Last week, uh, my wife and I, along with Nathan and Noah, drove home from North Richland Hills. We had to see our CPA. We're driving up Davis, and uh, you guys know about my foot. Uh, I've already been transparent about that. My right foot hasn't been delivered from speeding. So I was doing 52 and a 40. Uh, the car that we have is very comfortable. I didn't know. I see the police officer, and you don't want to be the, you, you know, <laughs> a kid's going to fly into the front seat, ah! you know. Um, so 
I'm just like, ooh, you know. You just, I just take my foot off the gas and kind of float like you didn't. <laughs> Please tell me you were texting, you know. Well, he wasn't. He was on duty doing his job. He flipped a U-turn, came up behind me. Uh, and and uh, I'm aware, as, as much as I would love to just be a kingdom ambassador and, and uh, never acknowledge uh, uh, the fact that I'm black in America or whatever other contextual uh, title we want to give to it, uh, because my mother worked for the LAPD, I, I know how to handle getting pulled over. Uh, with the skin color I have. And that is, as soon as I, pull, as soon as I get pulled over, uh, I turn the car off, I roll down the window, jazz hands on the steering wheel. Jazz hands, y'all know this, right? Fingers. Except for these two fingers, I have put together because in between those two fingers is my driver's license and my registration. I don't reach for anything. That happens when they get to the car. And whether I feel like it or not, I crack a smile. <laughs> Let me tell you why I do that. I want to go home. I just want to go home. And he has a job to do, and I respect it even if it's all sometimes an inconvenience for me. He comes up to the side. Hey, sir, uh, can I see your license? Oh. <laughs> Looks like you already had that out. You were doing 52 and a 40. Did you realize that? No. I have a very comfortable car. I can't feel anything unless I'm doing 90. He goes, well, this is a 40-mile-per-hour zone. I said, I, I didn't even know that. He said, well, there's signs posted. He said, uh, uh, have you ever been on this road? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> what kind of question is that? I have been on this road. I said, but I probably haven't been on it more than 10 times in the last 18 months. I don't know. That, that doesn't even make sense to say that, but he was specific. I want to be specific, too. <laughs> this is now my 11th time, sir, on this road in 18 months. <laughs> I keep a log right here if you want to see it. I have a journal. So he goes to the back, he comes back around, and he goes, um, I see here you have a concealed handgun license. Yes, I do. I said, but I don't have my weapon on me now because I'm in uh, the car with my wife. I usually keep it in my car or it's safely stored in the house. He goes, well, buddy, you went through all that trouble to get a concealed handgun license. Carry your gun. I was being chastised for not carrying my gun. Two men just died for carrying theirs. Sometimes it depends on the zip code. I kind of laughed it off, and I said, yeah, you know, you're right. And he handed me my license back and said, hey, buddy, slow down. He gave me a warning, and he walked away. That's good old suburban life for you. That'd have been a much different situation if I was off Keystone Rugged 
in Oak Cliff. If I was in Mesquite, Garland, South Dallas off Malcolm X or MOK. This is the world we live in. And I can either be a mad black guy or an angry believer. And I have that choice. No one else can make that choice but me. And if I listen to rhetoric that fuels hate, sound bites that fuel hate, clips, images, speakers, activists that fuel hate, it will shape the way I see my world. It will shape the way I see people. It will shape the way I treat people. We live in a fallen world. Well, it's just because they don't know Jesus. And because they don't know Jesus, man, they're liable to do anything. Well, believers have the same issue. I traveled with a man for two years across the heartland of America, Tupelo, Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, Laramie, Wyoming, Fargo, North Dakota, South Dakota, Billings, Montana. I've, I, don't, I don't know black people that live in these places. I was there as the stage manager and MC for one of the most world-renowned apologists that this century's ever had. And church after church after church that I went to, a simple good morning was not returned in Jackson, Mississippi. And we're putting on a church event. In Billings, Montana, after the uh, 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 show was over, the uh, crusade was over, uh, there were a group of uh, young girls, Caucasian girls, that wanted to take a picture with me. And one girl, realizing that this picture might be seen for her father, was completely freaked out and backed away and said, oh, I cannot take a picture with a black guy. My dad would kill me. At a church event. So... This is not just... People that don't know Jesus that have bad filters. A lot of people that do have Jesus still have bad filters. And if your preachers during the week are Fox, CNN, MSNBC, you're not going to have a good filter. It's hard to get this in you and that in you and come out pure. <laughs> There's a reason why we're called to be sanctified, consecrated, set apart for kingdom use. So why, why am I talking about all this? Because this is an embassy and we should be able to talk about it. But the other thing is, I, I want to give us an opportunity to have the right thoughts and the right words that will produce the right actions. 
Can I say something to Caucasians real quick in this room? You don't have to do nothing. I just want to tell you, you're off the hook. Breathe deep. What, what, what do we need to do? Because I'm not like them. So, so what do I need to do? Just keep being the loving person you are. If, if this episode has somehow brought you some type of guilt, that didn't come from God. God would give you a burden for injustice so that you can see righteousness happen. But if you feel guilty, oh, I'm white and these black people keep dying and oh, my God. And oh, boy, what am I supposed to do? So I should, should I say sorry. <laughs> you're not guilty of anything. Calm down. If you're a loving believer and that's all that's coming from your heart, proceed with that. But listen, if, if you have some crud in your heart and some of this stuff is, well, I don't understand what the situation, I don't see what the big deal is. Well, check your heart and do that in the same way we would do with any message on a weekend. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? If he points to it, just repent and move on. I, I, don't, I don't like black and white. It leaves a whole lot of crayons out of the discussion. So, black, white, black, white. And these Hispanics are going, wow. <laughs> are we in there anywhere? Any Native American Indians in there anywhere? Any Asians in there? Any islanders in there anywhere? Anybody else that's experienced injustice, but we're just going to keep tossing around this narrative and making it black and white? No. It's right and wrong. It's salvation and sin. And I don't want to fly what I feel like is a jumbo jet. Embassy City Church was called to be a jumbo jet, to fly 40,000 feet in the air and take people from just being believers and to being ambassadors, to take people out of the bondage of sin into the glorious hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ from earth to heaven. That's going to take a jumbo jet. I wasn't called to fly a Cessna through the trees. So I don't want to have a conversation that flies so low that the only thing it does is continue to stir up a bad taste that we already know will not get resolved because you put two people in a room to talk about it for five hours. Don't pray for change. Pray for hearts to change. When hearts change, people change. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, if Christ can transform your heart, you'll just be a completely different person. Last week I was in uh, California at uh, Rick Warren's church at Saddleback, and uh, Rick Warren had a guy who had convicted 
who, who was convicted of uh, double murder. Uh, he had served time. He was given life uh, because of his outstanding behavior after giving his life to Jesus Christ. Um, they gave him uh, the opportunity for parole. He was paroled, but of course he was a felon, and Rick wanted to hire him. But the only way he could hire him is if he got a, a governmental pardon from the governor. And uh, Rick called up the governor and said, hey man, I got this guy who was convicted of double murder, but he gave his life to Jesus, and I want to hire him. And the governor's like, okay. And he goes, yeah, but I need you to pardon him. The governor goes, okay. And then Rick proceeds to bring the guy out and introduce him to everybody. And here's this guy standing next to Rick Warren, the guy whose book has sold more copies than any other book except the Bible. It's a pretty good book. Two Guinness World Records, okay? Rick is holding hands, you know, he comes out, he puts his arm around, gives him a big old hug. And, and, and the double murder guy is on staff at his church. You can still see from the time that he served and the life that he lived how hard his face looked. But when he smiled, you knew the only reason that smile got there is because his heart was transformed by Jesus Christ. And if a man who killed two people could have his heart transformed and serve people in a church, then I have to believe that God can change the hearts of not just people who are the victims of what we see happening in our country, but the perpetrators as well. Wouldn't it be something if transformation happened in everybody and we stopped pointing our prayer hand? You know, this, we do this when we want. We only stop, we stop pointing our prayer hand at only the people that we sympathize with. I don't know if you remember the nine people that were murdered at a Bible study in South Carolina, the people came out within 48 hours and said that we forgive the person who did these murders. And there was uh, a professor, very bright man, uh, who uh, was on one of the news outlets and said, this is the problem with church people. They're not true to their emotions. They're dysfunctional, and they hide behind their faith. You can't forgive people without going through the proper stages of grief. You have to be angry first. Then you have to be in denial. Then you have to do this. Then you have to do that. And then after a while, forgiveness can come. What shocked me about his statements is he doesn't know our faith. The only response that we can give people is a response that the king gave us. And in real time, while he was on the cross, he looked down at the people that were murdering him 
real time and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I can assure you that those cops have no idea what they're doing. I can assure you that that man that was killing five people, they have no, he had no idea what he was doing. No, no, well, he planned to kill. I know what he did. He doesn't know what he was doing. If he knew that he was being deceived by Satan, he wouldn't have done it. If he knew that he was removing five people's families from ever experiencing the joy of their loved one again, maybe he wouldn't have done it. But he was under the influence of demonic persuasion. And that's what's going on all across this country. Whether we talk about violence, whether we talk about substance abuse, we could be here all day. I'm interested in seeing a community of believers be able to be light to darkness in times like this. And not with anger and a stupid Twitter statement and a long Facebook message about how mad you are, but to bring the type of words that bring comfort, healing, and hope. I won't do this many times, but I did want to set the precedent today of how we're going to respond when tragedies like this happen. We will love the unlovable. We will reach the unreachable. We will be light in darkness. We will repeat what the king has told us to say and what he has told us to do. And we will not fall into the trap of the enemy to have conversations that don't bring true peace. We're ambassadors of a kingdom more than we are citizens of America. And if we ever get that confused, we'll never see an end to any of this. So what's next? I'm not sure. I want to help. I want to be involved in the solution. But I don't want to make something up because I'm emotional. I'm, I, I'm for lasting change. I'm for lasting solutions. And I don't, I don't want three prayer vigils in the next 72 hours, and then we go back to things as usual. Oh, we did. Well, we, we prayed. Time to go fishing at Grapevine Lake. Bless Jesus. I want to work with the community. I want to work with the city of Irving and the city of Dallas to, to see what we can do as a church. And that's not going to happen in the next week. I'm not going to belabor this any longer. But I do want you to know that I love you. 
as a senior pastor of this church, I am so happy to be able to pastor people that love Jesus. Not colors that love Jesus, not ethnicities that love Jesus, just people that love Jesus. Some of you might be treated unfairly. Some of you all might be, have come through some abuse. Whatever it is, we want to minister to the needs of our community. And sometimes when these huge things happen, we have to take time to address it and at least say we acknowledge what's going on. Whatever the solutions are, we'll figure those out. But we get to be the type of people that talk about it so that we can go back out into a dying world and give them the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to pray in a moment. My wife's going to lead us in the altar call. But I am going to ask the question. I didn't preach a sermon. I didn't read from a text. But I am going to ask you the question that we do ask every weekend, and that is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Another question you might want to ask yourself is, what are you saying to you? about what's going on right now, what are you saying to you? What have you been rehearsing all week? Has it been something that brings a type of anger and rage and frustration that causes you to look at people different, distrust? Or is it the type of sentiments that allows the anger to be there but also believes that God is in full control of it all. What is he saying to you? So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I know this is a different day. Maybe you've come expecting a certain outcome to this service. Perhaps you were hoping I would say something and I didn't say it. Perhaps you were hoping I didn't say something and I did. <laughs> it's my first time doing this. I wish it was my last. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I know who holds it. And only what we do for Christ will last. So Holy Spirit, as we take this moment to allow you to speak to us about us, I pray that any scales we have in front of our eyes, that you would just melt them away. And that you, oh God, would be the one to bring clarity, perspective, 
peace.